0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 321. Today's big Bible question is, what is Jesus doing right now in heaven? Well, hello, friends. Happy Thursday to you as an update from the Bible Reading Podcast Bunker. I am sad to report that yet another Thompson has fallen. Now we have five out of five kids sick and one out of two parents sick. So far, two out of six COVID tests have come back negative, so that's good. The other four are still pending, uh, and we still appreciate your prayers. I am holed up in my office right now. I'm even wearing a mask around the house, wondering if that's going to help. But I guess we'll see. It'll be an interesting experiment. Our Bible readings for this Thursday are 2 Kings 25, Psalms 144, Amos chapter 1, and Hebrews chapter 7, which is our focus passage. It is at this point that I have suddenly remembered that, several episodes ago, I promised to share with you all the reasons for doing daily Bible systematic reading from Pastor Robert Murray McShane, who is the author of our Bible reading plan, and then I neglected to do so. I gave you the warnings of uh, that he gave for the dangers of systematic Bible reading, and then I forgot to give you all the benefits. Well, here they are in a somewhat slightly modernized form. There's five benefits of reading through the Bible in a daily systematic way. Number one, the whole Bible will be read through in an orderly manner in the course of a year. The Old Testament once, the New Testament and Psalms twice. Did you know we were going to read the New Testament and Psalms twice this year? How about that? I fear many of you never read the whole Bible and yet it is all equally divine. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect. If we pass over some parts of scripture, says McShane, we shall be incomplete Christians. Number two, time will not be wasted in choosing what portions to read. Often believers are at a loss to determine towards which part of the mountains of goodness they should bend their steps. Here, the question will be solved at once in a very simple manner. Number three, Parents will have a regular subject upon which to examine their children and servants or employees. It is much to be desired that family worship was made more instructive than it generally is. The mere reading of a chapter is often too much like water spilt on the ground. Let it be read by every member of the family beforehand, and then the meaning and application drawn out by simple question and answer. The calendar, the Bible reading plan, will be helpful in this. Friends also, when they meet, will have a subject for profitable conversation in the portions that they read that day. The meaning of difficult passages may be required from more judicious and mature Christians, and the fragrance of simpler scriptures spread abroad. Number four, the pastor will know in part, uh, in what part of the pasture the flock are feeding. In other words, they'll know what passages they're in, He will thus be enabled to speak more suitably to them on the Sabbath, and both pastor and the elders will be able to drop a word of light and comfort in visiting from house to house, which will be more readily responded to. And I got to say, our church, uh, Valley Baptist Church in Salinas, California... Not only have we been reading the Bible together day by day, but our sermons on Sunday mornings have come out of that week's or the next week's Bible readings. And I think that's really been a great thing. It's been good for me um, to be able to uh, go through the scriptures in a year and, and have that as a guide for our sermons from week to week to week, and that's been awesome. I hope it's been good for uh, the people of the church, but I know it has been good for me, not necessarily because you ever, th- as a pastor, at least for me, I never think, oh, what should I preach about this week? That's, I mean, I've been in ministry for like 25 years. There's so much uh, great, amazing things in the Bible. I never just sit around and scratch my head and say, well, geez, what are we going to do this week? I, I mean, it's, it's there's always something fresh, but But going through the Bible reading together and then taking it apart and going deeper on Sunday morning in in terms of a sermon, that's been really, really, I've loved it. I, I I don't know that the rest of our people have loved it, but I as a pastor have absolutely loved that part of it. Finally, number five says McShane, the sweet bond of Christian love and unity will be strengthened. We will often be led to think of those dear brothers and sisters in the Lord here and elsewhere who agree to join with us in reading these portions. We shall oftener be led to agree on earth, touching something we shall ask of God. We shall pray over the same promises, mourn over the same confessions, praise God in the same songs, and be nourished by the same words of eternal life. And you know what? That's an awesome thing. It's it's a really cool thing. Look, this this podcast is listened to by people around the world, not millions of people around the world, but, but people around the world that I hear from from time to time, like uh, Ian in Dundee, Scotland, where Robert Murray McShane is actually from, and like Margaret in Northern Ireland, and like Courtney and Susan in Birmingham, Alabama, where I used to live, and so many friends like Og and Jesse in Salinas, California. And also John in Arizona and people all around. And I just noticed today that somebody from uh, somebody from Pennsylvania just downloaded a hundred episodes. And, and that kind of thing happens all the time. And it, it's great knowing that we are all around the world reading the Bible together. There's somebody faithfully in the country of Zimbabwe that reads uh, that that downloads pretty much every day. And in Gabon and other places that I've never set foot on that I would love to visit, we're all reading the scriptures together. And that's such a sweet and wonderful and encouraging thing. And uh, yeah, it's just great whenever I get to hear from you guys. So be sure and drop a line at BibleReadingPodcast.com. I note here that we did cover some of those reasons of McShane's a lifetime ago on episode number two of the show, but many people have joined us since then, and it's always good to have a reminder of why we are reading the Bible in this manner. Well, today, our focus is on the book of Hebrews chapter 7, and our question, probably seemingly a little bit on the unanswerable side on the surface, is actually addressed pretty specifically in the Bible. If I were to ask you right now what somebody 3,000 miles away from you was doing, and you couldn't see them at the moment, you might be at a loss to know. If I were to ask you what was currently happening on one of the moons of Neptune right now, you probably also would be stymied. Contemplating what Jesus is doing at this moment in heaven would seem to be equally, if not more, mysterious than those other things, But it turns out that we are actually told in Hebrews 7 what Jesus is up to right now. And it's a pretty remarkably encouraging activity. So let's go read Hebrews 7 and be encouraged by it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of God most high, met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means King of Righteousness, then also King of Salem means King of Peace. Without father, mother, or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now consider how great this man was. Even Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the plunder to him. The sons of Levi, who received the priestly office, have a command, according to the law, to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their brothers and sisters, though they have also descended from Abraham. But one without this lineage collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed the one who had the promises. Without a doubt, the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, men who will die receive a tenth. But in the other case, Scripture testifies that he lives. And in a sense, Levi himself, who receives a tenth, has paid a tenth through Abraham, for he was still within his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Now, if perfection came through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to appear said to be according to the order of Melchizedek and not according to the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must be a change of the law as well, For the one these things are spoken about belong to a different tribe. No one from it has served at the altar. Now it is evident that our Lord came from Judah, and Moses said nothing about that tribe concerning priests, and this becomes clearer if another priest like Melchizedek appears, who did not become a priest based on a legal regulation about physical descent, but based on the power of an indestructible life. For it has been testified, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So the previous command is annulled, because it was weak and unprofitable, for the law perfected nothing, but a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. None of this happened without an oath, for others became priests without an oath, but he became a priest with an oath, made by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office, but because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints his high priests men who are weak, but the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. So what is Jesus doing right now? Well, he's functioning as the high priest in heaven. He remains forever. He holds his priesthood permanently He is able to save completely those who come to God through him since he always lives to intercede for them. So Jesus is interceding for us permanently and in an ongoing way in the past, in the present, in the future. And I got to tell you, that's such a wonderfully comforting thought, right? Now, I hear some of you asking, okay, but what exactly is interceding anyway? And that's a wonderful, wonderful question. Intercede means to pray or to entreat, to seek to obtain something from someone on behalf of another. And that's what Jesus is doing for his people. He's serving as an everlasting mediator between God and man. We read in 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there is one God. God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So it is that Jesus not only died to pay the ransom for our sins, but he is still mediating for us, still interceding for us, still bringing us together with God, hearing our prayers and asking God for favor on our behalf. And honestly, this whole glorious truth reminds me of one of my favorite quotes ever, which says, If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Now, interestingly enough, I know that quote well. I've used it many times, uh, but not for a few months or, or so. But when Googling it a moment ago, because I have totally forgot who said it, I was reminded that our own Robert Murray McShane, the author of the Bible reading podcast Bible plan, was the author of that quote way back in the 1800s. And of course, it's based on our focus passage, the great truth in Hebrews 7, that Jesus is interceding for us in an ever living way. So I want us to fix this in our mind, remembering this glorious, wonderful, and comforting truth whenever we are going through a trial. Jesus is not up in heaven relaxing or playing tennis or something crazy like that. He's in heaven day by day, day to day, interceding and praying for you and I, his people. That's a wonderful bit of truth for us to revel and rejoice in today. Whatever you're going through right now, and life may be really tough for you, and i got to tell you, Our household right now, having six out of seven of us sick, that's not fun. I I hate when other people are sick uh, in the family. But whatever I'm going through right now, whatever you're going through right now, is made all the better knowing that Jesus, who bled and suffered for us, who died on the cross paying the price for our sins, is now still gloriously ministering to us and blessing us with his active prayers and intercessions. That's just mind-blowing. It's not like he hasn't already done enough. He's done more than enough, a billion times more than enough, and yet his ministry continues on a daily basis praying for us. It's astounding. It's mind-blowing. Well, how does this help us practically? I think you can imagine the many ways, but J.I. Packer, uh, the theologian from Canada who just recently died a couple of month- months ago, points out one way in which this helps to strengthen our own prayers. As the heavenly high priest, the risen Christ lives to make intercession for the saints. We learn this in 1 John 2, 1, Romans eight thirty four, and Hebrews 7, and 25. Only in the name of Jesus and by that way which he has opened, do sinners have access to the Father, John fourteen six. The Holy Spirit sent by the Father unites us to Christ in saving faith and gives us the confidence to call God Abba, Father, just like Jesus did. We do not know the plan by which God wills all things to work together for our good. We do not know, therefore, how to pray according to that plan, but... The Spirit aids our weakness. He prays for us with an inarticulate groaning, says Romans 8, 26 through 28. And so we have this situation where the Holy Spirit is praying inside us and Jesus is praying and interceding for us from heaven. And man, I don't think we could be covered any better than that. So let me close with an excerpt from a letter that John Amazing Grace Newton wrote to a friend of his, in which he twice quotes and takes comfort from today's blessed truths. May it comfort you also. So John Newton says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who now appears in the presence of God for us. An awful cause we had to manage in the court of heaven, and when we expected to be asked what we could say, that judgment should not be given and executed speedily against us. We were dumb and without plea. In other words, Newton is saying, um, with all of our sins stacked up against us, what are we going to say to get into heaven? He continues, we cannot deny the fact or offer the least amends or payment for our sins. We can neither stand nor run away. But since Jesus has been to please to take our affairs in hand, how our appearances change. The law is fulfilled. Justice is satisfied in heaven is opened wide to those who were upon the brink of despair and destruction. And Jesus did not plead for us once only. We'll read that again because it's so beautiful. Jesus did not plead for us once only, but he ever lives to make intercession for us. So let us then take courage. The word uttermost includes all the things that can be said. Take an estimate of sins, temptations, difficulties, fears, and backslidings of every kind. Still, the word uttermost goes beyond them all. And since he ever lives to make intercession for us, since he is the righteous one who is always heard by God, since his promise and compassions are unchangeable, May his spirit enable us to apply the conclusion without wavering to our soul's comfort that he is indeed able and willing and determined to, as the word says, save us even to the uttermost. Hallelujah. He will save us to the uttermost because he's able to and it's happening and he's praying for us right now as I speak this and as you listen to this. Praise be his name. I hope that is a deep encouragement to you. I needed that today if you didn't, and I suspect you needed it too. Well, let's continue in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city and built a siege wall against it all around. The city was under siege until King Zedekiah's eleventh year. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that the common people had no food. Then the city was broken into, and all the warriors fled at night by way of the city gate between the two walls near the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans surrounded the city. As the king made his way along the route to the Arabah, the Chaldean army pursued him and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. Zedekiah's entire army left him and scattered. The Chaldeans seized the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and they passed sentence on him. They slaughtered Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. Finally, the king of Babylon blinded Zedekiah, bound him in bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guards, a servant of the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem. He burned the Lord's temple, the king's palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. He burned down all the great houses, the whole Chaldean army, with the captain of the guards, tore down the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, deported the rest of the people who remained in the city, the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the population. But the captain of the guards left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and farmers. Now the Chaldeans broke into pieces the bronze pillars of the Lord's temple, the water carts, and the bronze basin which was in the were in the Lord's temple, and carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took the pots, shovels, wicks, trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the priest's service. The captain of the guards took away the fire pans and sprinkling basins, whatever was gold or silver. As for the two pillars, the one basin and the water carts that Solomon had made for the Lord's temple, the weight of the bronze of all those articles was beyond measure. One pillar was 27 feet tall and had a bronze capital on top of it. The capital, encircled by, and by, by a grating and pomegranates of bronze, stood five feet high. The second pillar was the same with its own grating. The captain of the guards also took away Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priest of the second rank, and the three doorkeepers. From the city he took a court official who had been appointed over the warriors, five trusted royal aides found in the city, the secretary of the commander of the army who enlisted the people of the land for military duty, and sixty men from the common people who were found within the city. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guards, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. The king of Babylon put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath, so Judah went into exile from its land. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, over the rest of the people he left in the land of Judah. When all the commanders of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. The commanders included Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Johanan, son of Cariah, Sariah, son of Tanhumeth the Netophathite, and Jatsaniah, son of the Machathite. They and their men, Gedaliah, swore an oath to them and their men assuring them, don't be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans, live in the land and serve the king of Babylon and it will go well for you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, son of Elishama of the royal family, came with ten men and struck down Gedaliah and he died. Also they killed the Judeans and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people from the youngest to the oldest and the commanders of the army left and went to Egypt for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. On the 27th day of the 12th month of the 37th year of the exile of Judah's King Jehoiachin in the year evil Merodach became king of Babylon, he pardoned King Jehoiachin of Judah and released him from prison. He spoke kindly to him and set his throne over the thrones of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin changed his prison clothes and he dined regularly in the presence of the king of Babylon for the rest of his life. As for his allowance, a regular allowance was given to him by the king, a portion for each day for the rest of his life. Psalm, chapter 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for warfare. He is my faithful love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer. He is my shield and I take refuge in him. He subdues my people under me. Lord, what is a human that you care for him, a son of man that you think of him? A human is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Lord, part your heavens and come down. Touch the mountains and they will smoke. Flash your lightning and scatter the foe. Shoot your arrows and rout them. Reach down from on high. Rescue me from deep water and set me free from the grasp of foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hands are deceptive. God, I will sing a new song to you. I will play on a ten-stringed harp for you, the one who gives victory to kings, who frees his servant David from the deadly sword. Set me free and rescue me from foreigners whose mouths speak lies, whose right hands are deceptive. Then our sons will be like plants, nurtured in their youth, our daughters like corner pillars that are carved in the palace style. Our storehouses will be full, supplying all kinds of produce. Our flocks will increase by thousands and tens of thousands in our open fields. Our cattle will be well fed. There will be no breach in the walls, no going into captivity, and no cry of lament in our public squares. Happy are the people with such blessings. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Amen. Amos chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Amos, who was one of the sheep breeders from Tekoa, what he saw regarding Israel in the days of King Uzziah of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. He said, The Lord roars from Zion and makes his voice heard from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the summits of Carmel withers. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Damascus for three crimes, even four, because they threshed Gilead with iron sledges. Therefore, I will send fires against Hazal's palace, and it will consume Ben-Hadad's citadels. I will break down the gates of Damascus. I will cut off the ruler from the valley of Avan and the one who wields the scepter from Beth Eden. The people of Aram will be exiled to Kir. The Lord has spoken. Verse 6 The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Gaza for three crimes, even four, because they exiled a whole community, handing them over to Edom. Therefore, I will send fire against the walls of Gaza, and it will consume its citadels. I will cut off the ruler from Ashdod, and the one who wields the scepter from Ashkelon. I will also turn my hand against Ekron, and the remainder of the Philistines will perish. The Lord God has spoken. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Tyre for three crimes, even four, because they handed over a whole community of exiles to Edom and broke a treaty of brotherhood. Therefore, I will send fire against the walls of Tyre, and it will consume its citadels. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Edom for three crimes, even four, because he pursued his brother with the sword. He stifled his compassion, his anger tore at him continually and he harbored his rage incessantly. Therefore, I will send fire against Teman, and it will consume the citadels of bozrah The Lord says, I will not remit, relent from punishing the Ammonites for three crimes, even four, because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their territory. Therefore, I will set fire to the walls of Rabah, and it will consume its citadels. There will be shouting on the day of battle and a violent wind on the day of the storm." Their king and his princes will go into exile together. The Lord has spoken. Lord, have mercy. Well, dear friends, may the Lord show his grace and mercy to you today. May he bless you. May he uphold you. May he pin and highlight and cause you to remember this wonderful truth that we've spoken about today, that Jesus is on his throne in the temple of heaven as the high priest and mediator ever living to make intercession for his people. May that encourage you to the depths that it should. In Jesus' name, good day and Godspeed.